Our topic today is joy and how finding and expressing joy in life is a necessity. It's something that can be developed and it should be developed. It's something that needs to be done daily, independent of present circumstances. And yet, finding joy and expressing that joy needs to be done based on present circumstances as well. I want to take a moment before we begin our talk, however. Everyone, bear with me. Close your eyes. Eyes closed. Now answer this question. What is worth celebrating today? It could be big, like a new friendship or a promotion that's happening or a baby on the way. It could be small, like the sun is shining or that meme that I saw about kittens is really cute or Tony Ruiz gave me coffee. Even if you don't particularly feel like it, there is something worth celebrating today. So just think about something good in your life. And when you have it, open your eyes. Perfect. Now hold on to that idea. We'll get to that a little bit later. Okay? I'll be using six ideas from, taken from theologian Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, as the framework for our discussion about joy. And I'll be using my own experiences as illustrations. Now I thought about different ways to illustrate how to capture and illuminate joy and how I could make this an objective conversation without bringing any of my own subjectivity into the argument. And after several attempts to do so, I realized I can't. I can't separate my personal experience from joy when I talk about this. So I figured I'll just go with it. And forgive me if I get too personal, but I hope my experience of joy will illuminate these concepts that you'll hear. And my experience of joy really is predominantly felt through music. And by the way, if at any point you feel like standing up and dancing, feel free. For me, music serves as a soundtrack to life. Or to paraphrase the great Stevie Wonder, songs are written in the key of life. Music serves to express, to explain, and to capture tone, mood, thought, purpose, and narrative. I myself have not written any songs, and I'm not much of a musician. But there are many songs that are created by other people that I've associated with particular moments in my life. So are you ready? All right, let's start with the first concept from Richard Foster. Idea one, joy derives in part from the freedom from anxiety. Matthew 6 says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body, what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or, What shall we drink? Or, What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, when you heed Jesus' advice not to worry... You open yourself to discovering all of the wonderful things God wants to show you. Now, this song is associated with my early childhood. This song was released in the summer of 1980. And as a four-year-old, I remember quite vividly playing with my dad and my sister on the grass of the Capitol Mall in Sacramento. We were waiting for my mom to take her nursing board exams. And so we were waiting there. My dad had parked next to the mall 
He'd rolled down the windows of his gray Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme and cranked up the radio, and this is what was playing as he, my sister, and I played tag. So at that moment, my parents had taken care of everything that we needed. And there was nothing for me and my sister to do, but wait. I could rest easy at that moment that all was right with the world. And I could do what I, as a four-year-old, was made to do. Play. Richard Foster points out that at the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus reads from the book of Isaiah, proclaiming that he was fulfilling this to be true about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor can be interpreted to mean the practice of the Jubilee year. Which you hear prescribed in Leviticus 25 verses 8 to 22. Every 50 years, the nation of Israel was called to restore their society to balance. Debts were to be canceled, slaves were to be freed, property was to be returned to its original owners, and crops were not to be planted, because they didn't need to be. God would provide enough in the previous harvest to sustain the nation for not just one year, but for three. Foster writes that these actions were a celebration of the gracious provision of God. God could be trusted to provide what was needed. Freedom from care and anxiety forms the basis for celebration. Because we know he cares for us, we can cast all our cares upon him. The difficulty, however, is that from childhood, we are taught to be responsible for what we are given. We are taught to look after ourselves and our needs, our jackets, our lunchboxes, and then our exams and our homework and our academic futures, and then our jobs and our careers and our cars and our homes and our debts and our property and our friends and our family and our community and our nation and our world. We are taught to be careful and care-filled about all of it, and rightly so. But what we lose by being too fixed upon being care-filled and anxious about everything is that we are called by God to be careless as well. We are called to be anxious about nothing, and we will not be able to experience joy until we are taught to also have a carefree indifference to things. That carelessness only comes when we trust God entirely to provide what we need. Now come back with me to my junior high days. In my junior high years, circa around 1990, my Catholic school would organize dances. And of course, when slow songs played, the girls would congregate on one side of the room, standing with each other in circles and furtively looking over at the boys. And then the boys would be on the opposite side of the room, as close as to the wall as possible, with their hands in their pockets, and looking down. And the thought was, who's looking at me? What would happen if I went to talk to that girl over there? Who would say anything about it? Yes, I did talk to her during class maybe two hours ago, but this is completely different. This is a dance. Talking to this girl now is dangerous. So the dance raised the stakes, and the anxiety froze us. And then this song would hit. If you want to dance, go on, dance, go ahead. There you go. 
Thank you, Z. It was as if someone had pumped the air back into the room. The anxiety was gone, and everyone ran to the middle of the hall as quickly as possible just to dance. In one sense, the song was so joyous that it gave us license to stop worrying about what everyone would think and just be together. It balanced the scales. This kind of freedom from anxiety that trusting God makes possible, but not just during the high school dance. Trusting God becomes possible during exams and career decisions with our family and our homes and our friends and our nation and our world. All of it is God's anyways. We have to let go and relearn what God is asking us to do in the midst of all of this. Second idea from Richard Foster. He says, joy sustains us through learning. Matthew 11 says, come to me all who labor and are heavenly laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Finding and expressing joy can be tough, but just as learning to trust God can be tough. It takes practice to express joy and to trust God, and it takes failure. Foster explains that when anyone is developing a skill, it is often fraught with setbacks. What keeps us going, though, what sustains all novices, is that they know that there's a sense of pleasure, enjoyment, joy, and mastery. Starting at age six, I was forced to play piano when I hated it, but my mom didn't give me a choice, so I, I essentially cheated. I learned not to read music, but I learned to play by ear, but it only got me so far. But there were moments in the dread of the hours of practicing where I realized that although I hated the effort, I enjoyed what I could do as a result of all the effort. And I gained a greater appreciation for music and for musicianship overall. For example, I learned to appreciate this song. I first heard this uh, in a music appreciation class my freshman year at Davis. So you'll hear various instruments, flutes, horns, and strings, and they're all playing separately. But their melodies begin to weave together. Until they gather together to become a single melody. This is all meant to capture the movement of a river flowing from multiple sources, from multiple springs in the mountains, coming down the mountains, joined together in tributaries, and these little separate droplets of water gathering together to flow, flow through towns and cities and the countryside before finally reaching the sea and then dissipating. Now, this is a metaphor for life. We're all individuals playing our own tunes, bouncing off one another, trying to make sense of all this cacophony, until we can finally come together, united and moving towards something. It can be rough at the start. The wait to finally achieve something can be interminable. 
and as Foster states, without finding joy in this process and the, and the results, we will sooner or later abandon the whole task. But what sustains us through those dull, seemingly pointless, and painful moments is a joy at what will result from the effort. It's an appreciation for the process, warts and all, as you go through it. So we must learn to commit ourselves to the process of learning, and to find and express joy no matter how long it takes. We must commit ourselves to the process of learning to trust God, no matter how painful and frustrating that may be, because it's worth it. Idea three. Joy sustains us through struggles. Here Nehemiah has returned from the 70-year exile, and the prophets Nehemiah, Ezra, and the tribe of Levi are all reading the recently rediscovered books of the law, which had been lost to the people of Israel for decades. So let me read the verse. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the holy Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they read the words of the law. And he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine. And send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Again, it's supposed to be a joyous day when the people are hearing this, this lost book being read to them for the first time in decades. And instead, the people of Israel are grieving. Why? It's possible that after hearing the law, filled with prescriptions for what it meant to be God's people, they realized that they and their ancestors had strayed. And they realized how much they had fallen short of what God wanted for them. And their self-disappointment showed itself through grief. Nehemiah, however, said, Do not grieve. Celebrate. And you can do so because God's joy is our strength, not yours. Richard Foster writes that without God's joy, we are limited. Women endure childbirth because the joy of motherhood lies on the other side. Young married couples struggle through the first difficult years of adjustment because they value the insurance of a long life together. Parents hold steady through the teen years, knowing that their children will emerge at the other end, human once again. Here's a song that has meant a lot to me recently. And let me apologize for the crudeness of this one in advance. Uh, the questionable vocabulary has been removed. So, But this is actually a song that my wife Stacy and I listen to a lot during our dating relationship and our engagement. We realize that we are both, let's say, strange people. And we need to unpack uh, a lot of the, our, our baggage in the middle of the relationship. And the only way that would happen and bring us together is if God was in the middle of it all. So this song, despite its crudeness, is filled with honesty, and it became quite apropos. my life I has to fight. my life I hard times like yeah, bad trips like yeah, Nazareth. So if you didn't get it, the key verse there is, I'm messed up, and homie, you're messed up. But if God got us, then we're going to be all right. Let's go a bit deeper. 
I've been listening to this song here uh, for years now, but on October 9th of last year, it took on new meaning. I was sitting at that table right there on a Sunday evening when I received a call from my sister. My sister told me that after battling cancer for 10 months, my mother had passed away. And for the six months that I've followed, this song has comforted me because it reminded me that although mom was no longer here with us, she was fully present with God there's nothing better that we can want for her. The strength to endure the grief came from the joy that God gave us, the joy that my family and me could find, even in that heartache. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The result of trusting God and experiencing joy will be worth the difficulty of doing so. Note, however, that this verse does not say the labor or the work will end. It says that our heavy burdens will be exchanged for lighter ones, and that our present taskmaster will be exchanged for one who is gentle and who offers rest as we carry his things through life. This leads us to Foster's next point. Joy comes through obedience. Often we think of joy as something supernatural that God can provide in the midst of our trials and travails. And yes, God can supernaturally fill us with joy despite our circumstances and even our own desire to remain miserable. I've seen it happen. I've seen it myself. I've been through it myself. The problem is our own thoughts and behaviors can lead to lives that are so filled with self-imposed anxiety, distrust, hatred, hopelessness, anger, and abuse that the only way to experience joy is only through God's supernatural intervention. We can live lives that actually blind us to the fact that God chooses to work often in natural ways. Richard Foster writes, some people live in such a way that it is impossible to have any kind of happiness in their home. But then they go to church and sing songs and pray in the spirit, hoping that God will somehow give them an infusion of joy to make it through the day. They are looking for some kind of heavenly transfusion that will bypass the misery of their daily lives and give them joy. But God's desire is to transform the misery, not bypass it. God's normal means of bringing his joy is by redeeming and sanctifying the ordinary junctures of human life. This means that we won't avoid all of life's miseries. We will find ourselves in the desert and in the fire of our lives. But even there, we can still find joy. 
That redemption and sanctification of ordinary life, it comes with obedience. And when I say obedience, I don't mean following blindly or passively. I mean discovering what your divine purpose is and being faithful to it. That kind of purpose exists in the big things and the small things of life. And it's the same for joy. Joy isn't just found in the big things of life that are external to us, such as our baseball team winning the World Series, or our favorite presidential candidate being elected to office. But more commonly, joy can be found in the small things that we often dismiss as normal. Waking up in the morning, spending time with a loved one, having food to eat, going to a job that enables you to make ends meet, if just barely, in this Silicon Valley economy. Saying hello to an acquaintance, making a new friend, breaking bread with an old one, and living our lives in a way that honor God and one another. Lives filled with compassion, peace, love, justice, just as God asks us to. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It is obedience to God or faithfulness to our divine purpose in the big and the small that causes us to live such a life of love and knowledge of God and neighbor. Jesus came for this purpose, that you would have life and have it more abundantly. And through his obedience, by his teaching, by his example, by his death, by his resurrection, he made it possible to find joy within our lives. Obedience to God is a serious undertaking. But at the same time, consider idea five. Joy comes with not taking life too seriously. Now, we've already looked at verses 28, 29, 30 from Matthew 11. But let's look at the verses that precede it. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Now I'm going to take a step aside from all the music for a second, and I'm going to ask a very simple question. What is it about kids and their seemingly easy access to joy? It's the freedom from anxiety. It's the trusting nature. It's their desire to obey most of the time. You laughed a little too hard at that. It's their carefreeness. So let me show you one such child at a press conference. We're going to do this again. Uh Everybody on the court produced, made, made plays. Um, the guy was in here before me, HB, can't say enough about his performance tonight on both ends of the floor. Daddy. That's a special feeling. We got to take Daddy, a week. Help me. Okay. Daddy, help 
take a, you know, a week off. It was, it was special, I think, because everybody was kind of enjoying the moment. And, uh, I feel best. You wanted to say that. <laughs> what, what did you learn from your comp conversations with them and kind of did you get a real idea like how long it's been since the franchise has got, got this opportunity from talking to them? <coughs> um, hold on. We tried again. I'm going to let her go. Yeah, we're very resilient, and there's obviously storylines all throughout the playoffs and things that you have to get through to, uh, you know, to win a championship. And everybody's got to be locked in. Everybody's got to be, uh, you know, determined to whatever comes our way. We've got to be able to fight through it. Steph, you take your daughter on the second time. How do you feel like that? Said it, where are you at? Where Sorry, you right here. I mean, you take your daughter second times. How do you feel like? I think she's taking advantage of the moment for sure. She's uh, she's way too comfortable. So, by the way, what Riley Curry said into the mic was a song lyric. Way up, I feel blessed. This is what we can learn from her and other children. What's wrong with being way too comfortable sometimes? This is a very serious press conference. It's during the Western Conference playoffs. But what's happening? The basketball player, Steph Curry, has taken his daughter, Riley, out to the dais with him. And she has filled the entire press corps with joy. They're smiling. They're laughing. They're taking pictures of her. Joy can be contagious. And if you think that Riley's father is lacking in joy, think again. He's the one who brought Riley out with him. Moreover, he is known as the Golden State Warriors' most distracted player. One of his coaches, Bruce Frazier, explains it this way. One, because everything is so easy for him. That's why he acts this way. And two, because he's got this childlike quality, which can cause him to fo lose focus more than some of the others. The thing is, even though this kid in him sometimes hurts him, it's also his best quality, because it makes him joyful. And when Stephen Curry is joyful, he is an assassin. The head coach for the Warriors, Steve Kerr, has made joy to be one of the team's core principles, saying, from the beginning, I wanted Steph Curry's joy and the individuality that represented to spread throughout this organization. Curry admitted it himself, saying, yeah, my coaches will tell you that my focus can be a problem. During timeouts, I'm, not, I'm always watching the other team. I'm looking for my parents and friends in the stands. I'm looking at everything. But I'm not spacing out. It's my way of locking in on everything. For an example of Curry's joy mid-game, let me show you this clip. You've probably seen professional teams have fans that play promotional games to keep fans' attention. It's usually some kind of you know, half-court shot or something like that to win money. Uh, in this case, the, play the fans are being, uh, playing a game of gigantic ski ball. Uh, and when one of the balls enters a barrel, the fan wins that cash prize. Now, this is happening during a timeout in the middle of the game when the players and the coaches are discussing strategy and what they're going to do to win. Everyone is supposed to be focused on the coach and the task at hand. But watch what happens. Carly to my right and Dan to my left. You've seen this before. The gold one is worth double. They have a chance at $10,000. Let's see them. Let's go. Carly, you're first up. Ladies first. Three tries. Make some noise for Carly. What will she get tonight? All right, come on, you got a second chance, Carly, come on. Oh, come on, Carly, you can do this. Make some noise for it. This is double, this is worth 
money. Ah! <laughs> what is that? Okay. <laughs> We're going to give it to her. Yes! That was an assist. <coughs> All right. Let's do it. And this isn't a one-off. Steph Curry regularly goofs around with fans and with players and with coaches, trainers, arena staff, and in ways that would get other players in trouble with league officials. But why? This is what his longtime friend Chris Strachan says. I think he does it in order to take himself away from work. It helps him to enjoy the game the way he always has. He feels God put him on this earth to play, and he never wants to forget that's what it's all about, play. It's an approach that I've tried to maintain about everything in life, too. Hold tightly to what you've been given, but not too tightly, because you'll strangle the life out of it. That includes my faith in God. And that leads us to our last idea. Joy can come from letting God surprise you. In the book of Acts, the apostle Peter, a Jew, is accused of interacting with Gentiles and sharing the good news with them which some followers of Jesus felt was not open to Gentiles. So Peter recounts exactly what happens. He receives a vision in which he is told, what God has made clean, do not call common. Immediately after, he is taken to the home of a Gentile, and a Roman centurion at that, the enemy, who tells him that an angel directed his path. And Peter begins to share the good news with these people. And verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? God does some things that we don't expect. And if we're too busy holding tightly to our expectations of him, we're bound to miss one of his callings. This song was a hit back when I was a kid. But it impacted me when I was an adult because it was during this time that I started gaining understanding about culture. Culture is a human construct, but it's a construct that God enters to connect with us. God can and does use many things that we don't realize he can use to make those connections. I saw it every Sunday for eight years working in children's ministry. And I saw that holding too tightly to your faith can actually strangle something that God wants to do. For example, some followers of Jesus believe that Christian culture and secular culture cannot mix. What is common cannot share space with what is holy. But maybe, just maybe, God can take what is common in secular culture and give it new purpose. I remember one time, I backslid. I backslid. I, I quit going to church. I wasn't thinking about y'all. I got tired of all the hypocrites in church. And I said, I'm going to stay home watch TV, but then remember my mama say, boy, you got to go to church. I, okay, I'm going to go back, and I, but I'm going to go and sit way in the back. I'm going to come and get a word, and I'm going to leave. 
man, when I got in, the praise was good. And worship was good. The word was good. I couldn't think of a song to make me, you know, make that work. So I just told the Lord, I was a fool to ever leave your side. Me minus you is such a lonely ride. That breakup we had has made me lonesome and sad. I realize I love you and I want you back. Hey, hey. Come on, we. There's one perfect fit. And Jesus, and Jesus, this one. We both are so. Maybe there is space for God to work within secular culture. And maybe, just maybe, God can use a form of music that some Christians have denounced as demonic on a secular Christian or secular network television show like Saturday Night Live. Chance the Rapper is a 24-year-old mainstream rap hip-hop artist from Chicago who's showing that maybe, just maybe, God can do something expected, even through him and his music. About three years ago, Chance returned home from Chicago after engrossing himself in work on his first rap album, having partook in the L.A. party scene a bit too much, including a lot of self-medication. He visited his, grand, his beloved grandmother, and as he recounts to a writer from GQ magazine, she looked at me in the eyes and she said, I don't like what's going on. She said, I can see it in your eyes. I don't like this. And she says, we're going to pray. And she prayed for me all the time, like very positive things. But this time she said, Lord, I pray that all things that are not like you, you take away from chance. Make sure that he fails at everything that is not like you. Take it away. Turn it to dust. Now, Chance appreciated his grandmother's care, but the prayer, he said, he said, I'm thinking like, I don't even know if God likes rap. You know what I'm saying? Is she praying that I fail at everything I'm trying to do? But then he decided to take it out as how she meant it, which was as a blessing, as fate. What he succeeded at would have God in it somewhere. What he failed at would not. He embraced his own lack of control. He said, things that you push so hard to get and they don't work out, I don't dwell on them as much because she said that. You know, because it makes me feel like everything is mapped out. That's trusting God. Like most mainstream hip-hop artists, he talks about his daily experiences in an honest way. Unlike most mainstream hip-hop artists, he also integrates his Christian faith into his music in a way that makes it both uplifting and relatable to the mainstream. For example, I've been getting blocked, just trying to make songs with friends. Labels told me to my face, they 
As one music reviewer said, religion can be alienating and even off-putting to some, but his album, Coloring Books, primary interest is to bring about the kind of joy that church brings for so many people. It all inspires a spirit of uplift like that of the church, where you dance, shout, wave your hands back and forth. You do something with your body, and you can't explain why. But something about being in this place with this music and these people is causing you to cast out your burdens and delight in celebration. I saw it for myself last Wednesday when my wife took me to Chance the Rapper's concert in Oakland's Oracle Arena. At this second stop of the Get This, it's called the Be Encouraged Tour, I witnessed something very unexpected. At the end of the rap concert, in a venue filled with young people that were a bit too dressed down, do you know what I mean? With curse words emanating from everywhere and with the scents of beer, cologne, and marijuana wafting through the arena, I witnessed Chance the Rapper sing the chorus from a famous gospel song. I made it through, made it through, made it through. And everything I gave to you, I gave to you, I gave to you. You got it, you got it, you got it. It's coming, it's coming, coming. So are you ready? And the once hyped up, boisterous hip hop crowd, they sang along almost reverently. And honestly, I felt that God was doing something in that room of 15,000 people. People were connecting with the joy that Chance held because of his trust in God. It was pervasive, it was unexpected. It was something I figure could never happen in that place and with that group of people. But who was I to stand in God's way? Joy derives in part from freedom from anxiety. Joy sustains us through learning. Joy sustains us through struggles. Joy comes through obedience. Joy comes with not taking life too seriously. Joy can come from letting God surprise you. Take the time in your daily lives to reflect and see what God has done, even in the most unexpected ways. And be grateful Gratitude is the lens that makes daily blessings visible and joy possible. Take this time to celebrate the big and the small in your life. And for sure, don't do it alone. In fact, let's practice right now. Remember at the beginning of this, I asked uh, what you guys thought was worth celebrating today? Now, I want you to think about it again for a moment. And I want you guys to shout it out. Like, tell me. What were you thinking of that you think was worth celebrating today? 
Sorry? Being alive. Rabbits. Rabbits. Your pet rabbits, I believe. Yes. What else? Weddings. Grandkids. Friends. Graduations. Sunshine. Tina Broussard Sandoval. Babies. <laughs> these are all things that are wonderful. It's amazing things that we... Some of these things are small, sunshine. Some things are big, babies, weddings. These are huge things. But these are all things that we can celebrate together. So what I'd like you guys to do with me now is pray for the things that you shared and for the things that you kept inside that are still on your heart. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather once again as your family and to celebrate what you have given us. Friends, family, rabbits. We celebrate you as well for being the one who loves us all beyond all understanding. And as we go about our work this week, let us not forget that you also call us to play. Let us remember to cast all our cares upon you so that we could live with joy. Help us to recognize the moments of joy that come in our lives, whether they come in big or small packages. Let us feel the joy come through in our steadfastness, in our obedience, and even in our struggles. Help us to appreciate that you love to surprise us in how you do things. Let us take joy in your strength and in your work. And may the joy of the Father, the love of the Son, and the peace of the Holy Spirit be with us today and every day. Amen.